seem odd to go one prayer to another, and maybe that's not a good worship planning on my part, but um, I didn't want to mix one thing then with another, because we have here, it says prayers for Christ's church and the world, and there's a lot of needs in our church. There's a lot of needs that you have that I don't know about, and so uh, it's a danger sometimes for me to say I'm going to pray for this, but then someone will go, but you didn't pray for me. Um, my intention isn't to be exclusive, uh, exclusive in any way, but a couple of things were brought to my attention uh, literally this morning. Rick Ramsey, who many of you know, is, uh, cares for your kids well, and his wife Sheila. Uh, Sheila's down uh, and really, really sick and on the verge of walking pneumonia, so Rick just asked that uh, we as a body would pray for her, that she'd be restored to full health. And then many of you uh, may have known Jim Ferguson uh, here on the island. Jim uh, passed away uh, suddenly. Uh, this weekend and um, left, uh, you know, obviously uh, his family is, is mourning that loss. And so uh, we want to pray for his family, uh, that they would be at peace and that God would come very near to them. Uh, so let's go to the Lord now and lift up not only these things, but uh, other things before him. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you. We thank you that we can even talk to you and know that you'll listen to us, that we're not a bother, that we don't have to ask for an appointment, that we don't have to get uh, on your day timer and try to see if your Outlook calendar is open enough in a few weeks to hear what's going on in our lives. But you are actively present in the midst of our lives right now. And God, for many of us, there is incredible glory going on right now of, of seeing your hand move in powerful ways. And we celebrate and we thank you for that. And so we understand the psalmist and the prophet when he says, we praise God in the midst of the harvest. But God, for others, it's a very dry time. It's a desert experience. And we wonder if you're in the desert with us when we're flat on our back sick, when we're wrestling with cancer, when we're waiting for a doctor's appointment to get news, good or bad or indifferent. Uh, we, we praise you in the midst of that, but we need to know that you're near. Father, we, we pray for the family of Jim Ferguson as they've faced death. God, that they would see the hope that comes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, would all of us, when we experience a desert, would we recognize that there is a rock in the desert? And out of that rock comes living water. There is honey that is sweet to the taste. And it's sometimes in the desert when you've stripped away everything else that we think gives us life that we actually find life itself. We find you. Father, we pray that we would find you and we would find Christ and we would live in the power of your spirit. We pray that for our church. Would you strip away distractions from us and that we would be about the important things of seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, of sharing the love of the gospel uh, indiscriminately around this island and in Bluffton and around the world. Thank you for the team that went to Haiti. Would that not just be a five-day blip on a calendar that felt good and was really cool, but would it impact us in such a way that we uh, would continually share the love of Christ to all who need to hear it? Father, we thank you. We thank you for our ministry teams. We thank you for Matt and Kristen being here with us. We pray for their safe travel back. We thank you and pray that you will give us wisdom as we discern your will in the future. We thank you for our team that is here every single week that leads us in worship and uses their gifts to lead our hearts into the throne room of God. Would you bless those men and women who every week come and play and sing to your glory.
Father, we thank you. And we do praise your name today. Would you be powerfully in our midst? Amen. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 133. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. I believe it's going to come up on the screen in just a moment. Psalm 133 is a psalm that's called a psalm of ascent, which means it's a psalm going up. It doesn't mean that it crescendos, but it means that it's a, it's a category of psalms within uh, the Jewish hymnal. That would be the Psalter or the Psalms, that they would sing at particular seasons of, of life. Now, the Psalms of Ascent were psalms that uh, on special high days and festivals uh, and times of worship in Jerusalem, Jews from all over the Mediterranean Rim uh, would pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And they would sing particular songs that were designed for that time. Uh, many of you are familiar with Psalm 121. I lift mine eyes up into the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And they would sing those psalms together. Uh, and they would be unified and united, as it were, by that common thread, people from different nationalities, uh, Jews who were dispersed into other areas of the world, coming back together and saying we are on a single mission, we are on the same trajectory, we have the same vision, and that is we are going to worship God at His temple in Jerusalem. Now, it's considered up, just as a side note, because uh, Jerusalem was considered the high place, that it, you always went up to Jerusalem, even though you may have been coming from a higher elevation. It was, in a sense, that sacredness of Jerusalem and what it meant that God had taken particular place there in the temple. I overheard uh, Doug Langhouse teaching in Sunday school today, talking about the tabernacle, and that God's presence in the tabernacle was there as they moved through the desert, and they worshiped at the tabernacle. And then David brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem, and there was a celebration. And then David's son Solomon built the temple of God uh, in all of its ornate glory, and they brought in the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory of God. The very presence of God was there. And so people came and worshiped. So that's the setting for what's going on here with Psalm 133. And it speaks within this psalm of a unity. It, it speaks of a blessedness that comes for being unified together. And I would imagine if we sat down one to another and we uh, had a, a Coke and, and uh, just talked about life, you would say, I want to be blessed. I want to experience blessedness in my life. I want to experience blessing. Uh, I want to have goodness, and I want it to be pleasant in my life. Would you all agree with that? Not many of you wake up each day and go, well, can't wait for this to be a horrible day. Boy, God, bring it on. But we go, Lord, would you bless today? Would today be blessed? Would my life, would my family be blessed? Now, the psalmist here says, blessedness comes especially in the gathered body of believers. It's a unique blessedness. It's a unique happiness. It's a unique peace that comes for what we're doing today, gathering together today. So let's look at the psalm together. Let's read it, uh, or I'll read it for us, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit this morning. This is God's very word, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. 
It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Now, for some of you, when the worship is going on and the music is going on, you're thinking, this is blessed. This is good. I, I, I like this. And then when we get to this part of the service, you're going, eh, not so blessed. But you're going to make it through because you want to hear the last song. But God is saying all of this uh, is blessed time together. And there's something unique and there's something wonderful about God's people coming together. Now, it doesn't mean you have to come together in the hundreds, but it means that you do have to come together. Again, there are movements about, uh, especially in the states, uh, that are basically saying, you don't need to get together as Christians. You can worship God individually. Why do you need to go to church? You can do, hang out with your family. You can do that. You can do it on the beach. Yet, can you worship God on the beach? Yes. Can you worship God in your car as you're having some windshield time driving up to Charleston? Yes, you can. But what the psalmist here is saying, and what we're going to look at in some other parts of Scripture, there is something uniquely, incredibly powerful about what happens when the gathered body of Christ comes together. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. This isn't just any other gathering. This is a unique and a special gathering. That's why Matt prayed what we called an invocation, invoking the presence of God here. To say, God, this, we don't want this to be just another gathering, a civic organization. We want this to be something unique and special that we're going to be changed because we come here. We want this to be a blessed gathering. We want this to be a time where we walk out changed because we've been here. Now, that's what my hope is, that every week as you get up on Sunday mornings, it's not just a, man, well, at least it's only at 1030. And I'll go and I'll get my hour in. hope we don't go past an hour and 15. But you come expectantly going, I can't wait for Sunday morning. I get to gather together with God's people and see God do awesome things. That's my hope. And my hope is that we are like that here. And then what happens with that is that as you're out and about and you're telling people about, not your church, but you're telling people about your God, that you say, We'd, I'd like to invite you to come together with me to uh, be in a place that is incredibly unique and special. And so the writer here, David, begins by using a couple of uh, similes. He says, it is like this and it is like this. Young people, that's how you use the word like. Just an aside. So, uh, some of you got it, some of you didn't. Um, but he's coming and saying, this is what it is like. He's saying, before that, he's saying, you know, we want to gather together with a oneness that is not defined by what we are not. We want to gather together in oneness uh, not by what we oppose, but we want to gather together in oneness because of a love that compels us and a joy that binds us together. And he says that kind of oneness, that unique oneness that is only found in the gospel. What other group are you a part of that isn't brought together by what it is not? We are not Democrats. We are not Republicans. We are not men. We are not women. We are not this. We are not that. 
The body of Christ comes together and it says we don't come together for what we oppose. We come together out of an incredible love that compels us to come together in the midst of our differences. And what we find in here is this incredibly unifying, powerful message of the gospel which blends all of these unique and different people together into one body with one voice and one message to the world around us. And what we say to the world isn't come and change and be like us, but come and experience the love of God and be changed. And then we don't just oppose everything else. What we do is we highlight Christ. He's saying, now, when you come together and you do it in the right way, and it's like this. He says, it's like oil poured on the head of Aaron. That really gets you, doesn't it? You ever wonder why people say, I read the Bible and don't get it? It's like oil poured on the head of Aaron. And then the imagery is, and it comes down his head, and it flows on his beard, for a Jewish priest would not have been able to have cut his beard, so it was a long beard, and it would have come down upon all the curls and everything, and it says, and it came down even onto his collars. And for most of you, you're going, yuck. That imagery doesn't capture it for you. And so he goes, oh, but it's also like the dew on Mount Hermon. Well, that doesn't do it very well either. We don't have any mountains around here, and so we don't know what Mount Hermon looks like. And so we go, these similes, these pictures, these poetic images don't capture us, so what I want to do is help them capture you. You see, the high priest, when he was set apart, had to come into a ceremony. All the priests did, and when they were brought in, they were sanctified. They were dedicated to the Lord, set apart for God. And for all of the priests, all of the Levites, it says that they took a special concoction of oils. Uh, It was an oil that had olive oil and cinnamon uh, in it and cassia and uh, sugar cane. And it was mixed together and it was only used for this particular reason. And think about mixing those things together. It would have an aroma, wouldn't it? The cinnamon and the cassia and and the oil uh, and the sugar cane all brought together. And it says, of all of the priests, they took that oil and they sprinkled it on them. And they said, we're sprinkling this on you, anointing you. No offense to some of you, baptizing you uh, in this way. They were being covered in that way. But for Aaron, the high priest, uh, he was unique. They didn't just sprinkle it on him. They said, you have a unique role. And the unique role for you is that you are our interceder. You are our intercessor. You go into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. You present our petitions to God. You sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for us. You, we don't just sprinkle you. We are going to pour it out on your head in abundance. And it is going to flow down with extravagance over you, showing that it descends from above, from God, pouring out His extravagant love on His people. That's the imagery. Don't get caught up with oil. Get caught up with this imagery of the extravagant pouring out affection and love of God on you to set you apart, to take you from being common and ordinary to taking you and making you sacred and holy, to making you without blemish, to making you special. That's the imagery. And the people would have gone, think about it. Again, set your politics aside. I would love to see the inauguration of a president. I don't care what his party is. I think that would be an awesome event to go and to see. And think, we can watch it on TV. Guess what they didn't have back then? 
You couldn't just YouTube uh, the high priest getting uh, poured. You couldn't. And so they would have gone, oh, I can, I can see it. He's there at the temple. And all of the people are around. And there's this incredible worship going on. Because Aaron, Aaron represents the fact that God has come to us and He'll forgive us. He's given us a representative. We have a hope because of Aaron and because of the line of Aaron. We have hope. And the people would have gone, oh, what beautiful imagery. And we don't live in an agrarian culture where we only get rain in the rainy season. We don't understand what it means to have pastures that desperately need the dew of the morning to give them moisture and sustain. We don't understand what it's like to herd our goats and our sheep up into the higher areas where there's still moisture captured in the cool of the mornings so that our animals and our livestock and our very subsistence can continue on. And he says, but this extravagant love of God, this blessing of God is like the dew that's on Mount Hermon. It's like the manna of heaven, which is sprinkled out over it to sustain your life. And it's not just in one little area. It's all over. He's trying to say, oh, how blessed and how good is the unity of the body of Christ when it comes together. It's like this. He's saying this is what it's like. It's like the dew of Hermon. It's like the oil. You see, it is this place. It is this blessing that comes from God above. So the blessedness and the goodness and the oneness that we experience is outside of this world. We can't create it. We can't. Because I look around, and one thing I know about each of you, and I joked around with our new members, is this. You know what the greatest problem that I have in my marriage? It's my selfish heart. It's that I'm broken and I'm busted and I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And as beautiful as my wife is, guess what her problem is? Wives are going, his broken, busted heart. No. (laughs) She's got the same kind of heart. And everybody in here has that same kind of busted up, selfish heart. And God is saying, somehow we're going to bring all of you together in this blessed place that is this extravagant pouring out of God's pleasure and blessing and power and all of those good things right here in our midst. So the question has to become, how does he do it? Is it just because we got together this morning? Is it because this place is somehow sacred? No, there is something to the place. The place makes a difference. The place makes a difference. But what God is saying, he's saying where the people gather, from them flow blessings. Go back, if you would, to Psalm 132 for a second. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip back one. These two psalms are tied together very closely. And picking up together in verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. There is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation. Her saints with shouts of joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And then if you think about over in Hebrews chapter 12, it says you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. But at the end of that chapter in verse uh, 28, he says, but let us now offer to God an acceptable worship. So there is something particularly unique about this gathered place of people. There's something unique that is happening right here. God says, 
I want to bless you in a particular way. That's why I'm glad that you're here. We've had rumblings of folks going, gosh, what do we do? Do we go to two services? What are we going to do? Do we do this? Do we do that? You know what? I don't know. But what I know is I really love seeing the gathered group of God's people come together and we'll figure out all that stuff. I hope we have lots of issues like that. Because I want this to be a place that people come and go, there is something so incredibly unique here that we will experience a joy that you can't experience on your own. We live in an individualistic world. We live in a world that does this. We were, my boys and I were getting a healthy meal last night on the way home from soccer. We were at Bojangles. And, and uh, by the way, any of you developers and franchise people, Bojangles in Bluffton would be an incredible thing, I think. Um, but we stopped and we're waiting for our food. And I looked around and guess what I was doing? This. And I looked at Will next to me. Guess what he was doing? This. I look back at Zach behind me. Guess who he was doing? This. Three people sitting within three feet of one another having absolutely no relationship together. We live individualistically. And we've taken that to worship and saying, and some of you would argue with me, say, Bill, the most sweet times of worship, the most intimate times that I've ever had with God have been alone. And that's awesome, and you can have times, but the greatest and most incredible blessing should be when God's people are gathered together. I bet, I dare say, that if I gathered the folks from Haiti who went there, if you said, what was the thing that stood out in your mind the most, many of them would say it was Sunday morning in a worship service with people singing and praying in Creole in a language we couldn't understand, that we were overwhelmed by the presence of God in the midst of our brothers and sisters from Haiti, and we were brought to tears because of what God was doing there in that midst. Any of you will say, would agree with me on that? Try this, Amen. There you go. Something about gathering here that's unique and special. And so we come and we say, that's why we, we come. And then God says, okay, it's great that you come together. It's great that all this is happening, and we're going to wrap it up in these thoughts. What's so special about you being here? Is it this carpet and these chairs? Is it this building? Some of you are going, heavens no. Uh, actually, an obstruction to my worship. But, um, but it really, at some sense, has nothing to do with the building. Because guess what? If this building blew away by a hurricane this fall, would we still gather together? Would God still be powerfully in our midst? Then what is it that's so unique? You have to go back to Psalm 132 and see it a little bit where he comes there in Psalm 132 in verse 17, and he says, it's, oh, it is this abundance of blessing and worship that comes together with God's people as they're gathered together in a place. It used to be Zion. It used to be Jerusalem and the temple. Now something has happened. He's saying, verse 17, there I will make a horn to sprout from David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. Who's he talking about? Who's the sprout from David? He's saying, out of this body, there is going to be Christ. Christ is going to be the unifying one. Christ is going to be the one who says to the woman in Samaria, though you want to worship in Mount Gerizim, you want to worship on your mountains, one day you won't worship on those mountains anymore, for you will worship God in spirit and in truth because of who I am. Because in John it says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it says this of you, you now are the very temple of God. And guess who dwells in you? 
God Almighty. Do you realize that? 1 Kings 18, Elijah is there and he's praying. And it says that the power of God in fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar. It melted the rocks. It was so powerful. How would you have responded to that? Cool. Can you do it again? Dang, I didn't get the DVR. I mean, or would you have just fallen on your face going, oh my gosh. We think it's so sweet and neat that it says that the Spirit of God came upon Mary. Do you want to know what came upon Mary? The Shekinah glory of God came down on top of that little teenage girl. Do you think she just sat there and went, cool, neat? Or she absolutely overwhelmed by the fact that God had come and taken a presence upon her? Or the people, when they looked in the temple in Solomon's time, and it says the Shekinah glory of God descended upon the temple and took up residence there and thundered and it shook. Guess where the presence of God Almighty, the maker of the universe, the one who loved you and created you in your mother's womb before you were even a thought in their minds, the God who created all things, the God who set everything in place, the God who came and said, I'm going to redeem all of creation and all of my people through my son. Guess where that God has now taken up residence? In you. And in you. And all those who say that I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to do. Literally, I want you to do this. Look to your right. Look to your left. Look at the person behind you and in front of you. What dwells in them? The very glory of God. Jesus Christ himself the very presence and the very Son of God has taken up residence. And he is saying now, guess what I'm doing? I'm bringing this ragtag, mixed-up group of people from all backgrounds and all nationalities and all socioeconomic backgrounds, and I hope one day all racial backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds, coming together at this place to do something incredible. Because it says this, you have been united to Christ, and Christ has been united to you, but guess who else you've been united to? Shake the hand of the person next to you. That person. Some of you really are stubborn. <laughs> it's just shaking a hand. That person you've been united to. You may not really like that person. You may not really have anything in common with that person. But Jesus says you do. You have a commonality that trumps every difference. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can bring together the busted up world that was separated at Babel. Go read the story. It was separated. But then you go read Acts 2 where the Spirit of God poured out upon the people of God and it says that they spoke in voices where they understood one another and the gospel spread and they were brought together and unified. You know what's beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it reconciles people together. And the world looks around and goes, how does that work? How do I get that blessedness? 
How did I see your marriage, which was on the verge of falling apart? What happened in your marriage? What happened with your kids? What happened with your parents? What happened to your friends? What happened? And what you have to say is this. God showed up. And in the work of Jesus Christ, He took me on. He redeemed me. And He sanctified me. And He changed me so that now I can love that man who I hated before. I can love that woman who was a bother to me. I can love those parents who didn't seem to get it. I can love my friends in school in a way that rocks the world because of what happened to me in Jesus Christ. There's one little thing that you may not have known about the high priest. Oil was poured upon him, but guess what was sprinkled on him as well? Blood. Because the high priest had to also show the reconciliation and the payment of sin in our lives. Jesus Christ is saying, I paid it for you so that you can be united to me and to one another. That's good news, isn't it? For some of you, you're saying, ooh, I got to be with that person forever? Mm Mm-hmm. Start getting used to it now. (laughs) John said, do you want to know if the love of Christ is in you, that you will love your brethren well. So here's where we're going to take this today and end it. I want our times of worship to be absolutely glorious gatherings of people from different backgrounds who come together on one common thread. And what you're going to hear preached and what you're going to hear sung and what you're going to hear taught to your children and women in your studies and men in your studies and when you gather together is you're going to hear the reconciling, powerful message of Jesus Christ at the cross, grace and mercy brought together with judgment, all brought together in a way that brings us to Him, Him to us, and us to one another. And then guess what we do to the world? We invite Him to come in. I'm going to take a little risk, but I think I I can with Dick and Charlotte. Dick and Charlotte went through the new members class a year ago when I first came. And we talked. Dick and I had coffee together, and we talked. And he said, you know, there's some stuff I left, and there's some stuff, there's some residual stuff from some years ago. And I can't join until that residual stuff gets taken care of. And a couple of months ago, I was meeting with a couple of elders, and one of them looked at me and said, had an incredible conversation this week. It surprised me. Dick Moore called me. He said, I want to be made right with you before I can be joined to the body of Christ here at this church. You may not know how hard it is for anybody, but much more for men, to admit that they were wrong and they want to be reconciled. And then come together. That's what happens here every Sunday. We live in a world that reflects the fall. That is busted apart by everything that divides us. You have the opportunity because of what has happened in you. The extravagance of the pouring out of the oil and the blood and the dew and the beauty. To go out and be that up. To be that conduit for Jesus Christ to the world. So that means this, folks. This is a family conversation. If not family, listen in, though. We're going to work really hard together to love each other biblically and well. Okay? 
So that means the vows that you took as members of this church mean you don't get to just walk away, take your marbles, and play in another game. You don't get to just leave the sandbox because you don't like somebody. Because big people in big boy pants come together and they say, we're going to work hard through the reconciling power of Jesus Christ to be reconciled, even though this is really, really difficult, but we're going to do something that's going to amaze the world around us. And they're going to go, how is it that you guys stay together? And we're going to go, only the, only the beauty of Jesus Christ. Does that sound okay? Does that sound easy? No. No. But it can be done. Oh, how good and oh, how pleasant it is when the brethren and the sisters gather together in unity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of the imagery of Christ. Thank you for your extravagant love to us that is poured out on us. And it flows over us. And we've been set apart, not only by the oil, but by the blood, that we have been been made new and right. And we are joined with you. And now we are joined with one another. And we get to gather together to worship you. Would you enliven this place by your spirit? Would you shake us to the foundations? Would you move even? There are some in our congregation who need to be reconciled to one another. Would you move towards that in humility and in power? And would you transform us? This is what we pray boldly and ask to Christ's glorious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing then together. It is the deep, deep love of Christ that unites and knits our hearts together. So would you join us as we sing this, as we go from this place, um, proclaiming his marvelous, matchless love for us.
of Jesus, far surpassing all the rest. It's an ocean full of blessing in the midst of every test. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, mighty Savior, precious friend, you will bring us home to glory where your love will bend. You will bring us, oh, you will bring us home to glory where your love will bend. You will bring us, and you will bring us home to glory where your love will never end. Amen. Praise our God. Amen. You know, what we talked about, we said was, it's available and it is possible. It's incredibly difficult. And I promise you this, that if you try to plug in any other power source other than God himself, through the work of his spirit, you are destined to fail. I don't have it in me. I don't. I don't have enough to love you the way I should. You don't have enough to love me the way you should and to love one another. And so too often I go, and the scriptures say, we run to these cisterns which are busted and they have no water left in them. When God is saying, I have provided for you a spring of living water. What we have to do constantly is run back to the spring be replenished and refreshed with the extravagance of Christ and then re-engage one another's hearts. So I pray for you this week that you constantly and regularly go to the spring. Be refreshed. And from your refreshing love, well. And now receive that blessedness of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance towards you and grant you His flourishing Shalom, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace today.